you the quantum mechanics? Yes, we are the quantum mechanics. We're the podcast that delves under the hood of the paranormal, the strange and the very unexplained. Uh, What have we got today, Ben? So this week, what I thought we would do is talk to somebody who, more than anybody else that I've ever met, knows a lot about people uh, and their ghost haunting stories. So we've covered houses that haunt and we've been speaking to Tony about strange occurrences in Chester and this person has written lots of books she's just researching her fifth one at the moment about uh, real people's stories and they just kind of they're what you'd expect they're the sort of thing that you tell each other around campfires but they're all UK based and they're all beautifully written she before she became an author she was a fraud investigator for the benefits office and so she knows something about getting good stories and the truth out of people so she's got I like that because she'll have a kind of almost for want of a better word a forensic approach to the subject that's right right. yeah yeah and she and she's probably interviewed more more people with paranormal and strange stories than i don't know than probably most people in in who look at the subject around the world right yeah yeah more people she makes us look like little league right (laughs) she does well she's been well i think she'll tell us but she's been keeping a database of what people have been telling her and their stories and locations for a good number of years and that's what you'll find in her pages so we're pretty lucky to have her today great let's get her on perfect So over the past few episodes of this podcast, we've been talking a lot about hauntings and uh, ghosts and various sort of spiritual entities. And uh, last week, somebody, one of our listeners, actually pointed me in the direction of our guest today. And as soon as I had a look at her profile and started looking at uh, her books, I was completely drawn in so it's with huge pleasure and thanks that i welcome ruth roper wild hi everyone hi so i got to know about you because you had put a call out on our local facebook group for uh, some information about a local haunting that you're investigating for your fifth book i think that's right yes so i put something on the local thames group um looking for somebody who'd or looking for anybody who'd had any kind of experiences down on the water meadows so uh, I've since we we first spoke to line up this interview, I've been uh, leafing through your books on my Kindle, and what uh, came across was it's lots of very ordinary people who have just come across extraordinary things. Is that a, an accurate way to describe it? Do you think? Absolutely. I've got. Um, I always want with my books to try and find correlations. That's what absolutely fascinates me. So if I find somebody saying that X location is haunted or they had an experience there, I go out on social media or any other media I can think of, to be honest, to see if anybody else has experienced something there. And however little the experience is, so, you know, they might just have had a strange smell or a strange sound or just something that put the backs of their um, hairs on the back of their neck up or whatever it might be, then that for me goes down with the data as something happening in that location um and so it's ordinary people having ordinary experiences as you were and then every so often having a really really amazing experience 
but in the located in locations that I think might be haunted. So how did you come to do this? Because it's quite an undertaking to find a group of people to tell their stories. How did the first book come about? I have had a lifelong fascination with the paranormal ever since, as a child, we lived in a house that uh, had a poltergeist, um, or it's what would be described as a poltergeist. And it was an incredibly active poltergeist that was quite happy to throw things around and move things and turn lights on and off and make noises and all the things you would normally associate with poltergeist activity. Um, so I started reading up on the subject because I was living with one and I wanted to know um, what it was we were experiencing. And what I quickly found out was that uh, a lot of the accounts that you would come across were just repetitions of the same old story, um, just sort of told with slightly more flair or whatever. And I got quite cross about that and wanted to know what people were really experiencing and whether or not people were still experiencing things in those places. So I started keeping a database, um, which back then was a card file because uh, I was working in a library when I first left school just trying to match up experiences and over the years that database just got bigger and bigger and bigger and eventually I put it onto a computer and it got bigger and bigger and I kept saying I'm going to write a book with this one day um, and eventually I got the chance to partially retire when I was aged 51 about four years ago and so I wrote my first book which I decided I'd better start with something quite small just to get the whole hang of writing a book thing and decided to write a book about my local area so the first book was called the ghost of marston vale and it literally covers just the valley that i live in so roughly speaking from bedford towards milton Keynes. um and when doing that i decided it would be much more interesting if i could find anybody that had actual experiences to add to the book so i just put out calls on social media i put cards in local shop windows does anybody want to talk to me has had anybody had any experiences and I went for loads of nice cups of coffee with nice people um and quite funnily actually on one of the occasions I went for a coffee and was chatting to somebody about their experience of ghosts and the lady on the next table over overheard us and came and joined in and gave me her story about ghosts as well so I just started collecting people's own stories and interviewing people um and that's how the books came about. So I've, I've followed that same methodology with all four books and the fifth that I'm now writing. So it's all about finding people who are willing to talk to me about their experiences and then capturing those experiences, however small, um, and, and putting them down for posterity, really. And we've always said, like, people, this is, people call the paranormal like a, a niche subject or uh, sometimes it's sort of a laughable subject. But it seems like if you really get somebody on their own, perhaps after a couple of drinks or late at night, and the conversation drifts onto it, it seems like everyone's got a story. Do you know, honestly, if I was asked to guesstimate from everybody I speak to, the first reaction, if I mention that I'm, you know, an, I'm an author and I write about the paranormal, is you get that sort of like, there's a load of rubbish, I don't believe in that nonsense. But then I would guess that about 95% of the people I speak to like that then go on to say, well, mind you, there was that one occasion when and proceed to tell me of something that's happened in their life that they have no explanation for. Some people have way more than one experience, but 
I would guess that about 95% have had at least one thing happen in their life that they just don't have an explanation for. So to me, that says that it's a lot more prevalent than we kind of assume it is. Yeah. And these people, they don't, I mean, when they come to talk to you, what sort of reaction, what's the typical reaction? Is it something that they, are they just glad to get off their chest or is, 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 have you ever come across anyone where they sort of found it a cathartic experience? Like, oh, I know you'll believe me, so I'll tell you, but they keep it to themselves otherwise. Definitely. I, I get quite a lot of that actually. Um, particularly when I put the calls out on social media and I will get people, because I always give people a chance to either respond there in, on the public forum or if they want to, they can PM me or email me in private. And I do that specifically for that reason, because some people just don't want to put their story out there. They've maybe never shared it before. Um, on at least one occasion I can think of, but there's probably dozens, it's because the rest of their family don't really like them talking about it. Um, so people sometimes just need that voice to be able to tell somebody. And I, I've got, I can think of several off the top of my head where people have written to me and said, I can't believe you're asking about such and such a location because we had something really weird happen there. And all these years I've wondered what it was and wondered if there was anything to it. And now you're asking about it. It's amazing. And go on to tell me their story, um, which for me is such a incredible validation that there is something happening. There is a phenomena or a range of phenomena that occur and people don't have the explanations for it. I was I was just going to ask about you know you you mentioned the locations and and the, it seems to be that that you do get kind of clusters of activity would that be fair to say and why and why have you got any idea why that would be? I definitely think it is fair to say that there are clusters. Um, why that would be, I have absolutely no idea. And I you know one of the reasons I do what I do is. I make the assumption that I'm never going to be that amazing person, that clever person that links all this together and figures it out and comes up with the answer. What I see my role is, is the person that's collecting all the data and putting it down in one place so that it's there for posterity. So as other ghost hunters, other paranormal investigators can use my data to then build on to springboard from. Um, and as for clusters, there definitely are places that seem to attract a lot of different phenomena. But I also wonder if actually there's an awful lot of phenomena that occurs that people just don't notice. And by that, I mean, I've got so many examples of people seeing something where they only realised they were looking at something paranormal at the very last second when it either disappeared right, right in front of them or they suddenly noticed that say one part of the body was missing or whatever it be and that makes me wonder well how many people drive past or walk past an apparition but because it happens at that moment to either be you know partially hidden by a table say or you know they only pass it for a moment that they don't notice there's something odd about it so they just yeah. it just fades into the background hum of things you see every day and they didn't take time enough out of their busy day to, or, or have time enough to notice that there was something wrong or or or, or i guess they're also partly 
like you said, some people don't want to acknowledge that they've seen something like that, right? Yeah, and so they perhaps kind of turn a blind eye almost, you know, a part of their brain yeah. registers that there's something wrong and the rational part of their brain immediately shuts that down and, and carries on with their busy day. I would guess there's probably a whole range of different reasons why people don't necessarily notice. But I, ca- I came across that idea because... Um, if you spend a lot of time out in the country, like me and my husband do, we live out in the country. If you sit very quietly anywhere, watching for wildlife, or whatever you're doing, and watch humans walking by, it's amazing how if you sit quiet and still, they don't see you sitting there. And you can watch them walk past a hare or a deer in a bush or whatever, and the humans never notice that it's there because we're so wrapped up in our daily life and what have you. And it was watching that that made me think, I wonder how often we do that with the paranormal. And then I started sort of noticing, you know, in some of the accounts I get where people would say, I wouldn't have realised there was anything wrong except that. (laughs) And then point out, you know, the weird part about it that made them realise, hang on a minute, that's not a real person I'm looking at. So, yeah, I I, I do think there are pockets, but I also think there's a lot more of it than we realise that we just aren't registering, if you know what I mean. Yeah. In uh, Roadmap of British Ghosts, uh, you describe uh, a scene where some people, after having been in a church, they come across a horse that seems perfectly normal, except it's in the middle of the night and far away from anywhere, but it seems fully a horse, and then it just disappears around the corner. And that sort of strikes me there's a load of moments like that if if they hadn't followed it they'd have just gone home thinking they saw a horse yeah that's that's from clop hill isn't it mm. um so that's that's st mary's church at clop hill and that was actually a band who were i do actually remember this one who were um they were making a, a cover for their album so they'd specifically gone to st mary's church in clop hill which is a, a ruined hill a ruined church up on a hillside um, and very atmospheric and had you know it's got all sorts of rumors about devil worship up there and what have you so it's a very well known site and they'd gone up there specifically late at night at midnight in order to get the spooky photos for their album cover so that they could get the atmosphere and what have you and as they came to leave with their you know technicians and everything and went to drive down this quite a long lane that leads up to it a white horse sort of ran past them and ran on down the lane and they thought oh my goodness, somebody's horse has escaped, we'd better go after it. Um, So they sort of followed it in the car, trying to stay far enough back not to spook it, but also trying to think of a way of slowing it down and catching it. And as they rounded the bend that it had just gone round ahead of them, it was gone. And for those, I mean, I actually know that lane quite well. It's not far from where I live and I walk the dogs there sometimes. The the sides of that lane are very steep, um, banks with actual the only way you can get up them is in places there's wooden steps cut into the side of the bank well obviously a horse isn't going to climb them and everywhere else it's I mean they are literally almost sheer vertical banks there's nowhere for the horse to get out it's stuck in the lane until it runs all the way down to the bottom where it t-junctions with the main road so there's nowhere it could have gone um and that's when they realized heck that wasn't a real horse we just saw but interestingly and unbeknownst to them that lane is reputed to be haunted by the rider of a horse that carries a lamp 
Now, they didn't see any rider and they didn't see any lamp, but they saw the horse. So, again, correlations, you know, they didn't know of that haunting. Everybody who knows about Clophill Church knows about the devil worship aspect that, is, you know, that was that hit the papers and it was quite famous. But very few people know the legend of the rider with the lamp that's supposed to be seen down the lane that runs down the side of the church. And yet they saw this horse. So fascinates me the correlations <laughs> there's a, there's a lot of um horses appear in those stories like either the sounds of them or a, a horse and carriage which like we we've often said to each other like yeah you get horses dogs cats seem to be sort of you seem to see uh ghosts of those and uh, they make themselves known but we're sort of wondering why we haven't ever seen a ghost of a you know, a dinosaur or a cow. I wonder, like, has have you ever had any stories that well, sort of go out the, the unusual or uh, the other unusual animals? Do you know, I've been asked this before, funnily enough, and my answer to the why don't we see ghosts of dinosaurs and things is Nessie. Ah, uh, right. Champ, how do we know that the reports that we're getting and the reason we can't, you know, they've done all these amazing sonar sweeps of Loch Ness and all the rest of it, haven't they? And never found anything. How do we know that what people saw wasn't actually the ghost of a dinosaur? And that's yeah. why we can't find it. Um, and as that's for really sort of, interesting. yeah, I mean, why not? And, and quite a lot of the, you know, cryptozoological type sightings. How do we know that they aren't actually ghosts that people are saying, or that kind of paranormal that people are seeing? Because one of the things that absolutely fascinated me when I was doing the research, and it still fascinates me now, um. When I was at school, I did ancient history and I did English literature and everything. And of course, then I was doing all this research about the paranormal. And obviously, I came across the um, medieval legends of Black Shuck, which, you know, is prevalent, particularly in East Anglia um, and out as far as here, Bedfordshire, and a little bit down in the West Country as well. And Black Shuck was, you know, a big de demonic sized dog with red glowing eyes. And if you saw one... Um, you know, they were harbingers of doom and all the rest of it. And, and they were a very popular, for want of a better word, myth, sort of in the Middle Ages and earlier. But it was one of those myths that had kind of died out over time. And you don't hear of black shucks these days and people don't talk about them much. And yet I have several accounts of people seeing one. Or at least seeing something that if you apply that mythology to it, you could think, well, actually, that is what black shuck was meant to have looked like. And here are people seeing him wandering around in present day times but not calling it a black shuck anymore because that's not part of common parlance anymore and that makes me wonder about well do we have a lot more paranormal that over time what we call things changes there's certainly an old legend for example of one lane that's haunted by um a, a litter of pigs with red ears um you know, I know of at least one legend involving donkeys um, or ghost stories involving donkeys. Um, there's another legend involving a shug monkey, which is a, a sort of half monkey, half human type creature that, that haunts another lane. So there are other creatures um, around, but I, I do often wonder whether we interpret things differently. And, and these days they'd get reported as a alien sighting or UFO sighting or, a right. you know, a cryptozoological sighting because we've got different terminology now 
Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, really I definitely think horses are the most prevalent without a doubt. <laughs> I've, I've got dozens of horse accounts in my books. Well, we, we did um we did an episode the other week about haunted pubs and horses and carriages came up quite a lot. And I think me and Ben were saying, in a way, that would be kind of seeing a ghostly horse and carriage would probably be more scary than seeing a proper ghostly apparition, I think. There's something weird about the whole concept. Absolutely. And, do you know, the funny thing is there's loads and loads of legends of horse and carriage hauntings or, you know, horse and cart or whatever. But you can find almost no actual accounts of somebody actually seeing it only the legend that it's supposed to be but i have found a couple of people actually seeing one so they're a lot rarer than our mythology would have us believe i think um but they do still occur where you see the actual carriage or cart or whatever it is because i've got a couple across the books where people have seen the actual um but mostly where you get a, a lane or whatever it is where there's a horse or cart type legend all you can find these days of people experiencing something in that area is maybe the sound of the horse and cart um or a glimpse of the horse but rarely of the cart anymore what does that mean that it used to be a full-blown apparition of a horse and cart but over time it's fading away i don't know Mm. don't know it's interesting i mean you've had as you said you've had i don't know how many people have shared their stories with you but you're probably one of the one of the you've probably been shared the most stories of the paranormal than most people in the world how do you um how do you work out which ones are genuine and which ones some might be somebody faking it or or kind of hamming it up what's your process or, or how do you know the difference to be honest um what I normally do is accept people at face value um, because it's not really for me to judge whether what they are telling me is real, not real or whatever, because people's experiences are very subjective, aren't they? Mm. Every now and again, I'll have somebody contact me and there's just something about the way they're behaving that makes it clear that they're just having me on for the fun of it. Um, right. And those ones I just don't include in the books. So I'll, I'll happily yeah. talk to them and let me tell the, let them tell me their story. Um, and then I just won't include it because you can kind of tell sometimes that they were having a bit of a laugh. Yeah. But actually, what tends to happen is when I put out the posts on social media, I, I inevitably pick up a couple of troll type comments. Um, I, I inevitably pick up some keyboard warriors who either have some nasty comments to say about the paranormal and people who believe in the paranormal or I have people say oh yeah (laughs) I saw somebody you know a grey ghost down there and when I invite them to engage with me and tell them the story that's usually when people back off if they're just mucking about because taking the time to actually then either have an email interview with me or um, a phone interview with me or meet up with me I don't think many people carry that through if they're just joking around. The ones that are actually going to take the time out of their day to do that have got something that in their mind, and again, we're talking subjectively, aren't we? But in their mind, that's what occurred to them. So, um, I mean, there's a fascinating story coming up in book number five when it comes out about a, a dimension hopping sausage. 
um, you know. And <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah, yeah, it's an excellent. It's a little five minute long occurrence that just is one of those weird little things that. And yeah, the person could have been having me on, but I there's nothing for them to gain out of that. You know, they're yeah. not paid for their stories that they give to me. Um, they're not paid for their time to talk to me. It's just time out of their day. Um, so, yeah. I, well, I, don't, I don't know that story, but I hope it's true. That's, that sounds <laughs> like a great... <laughs> well, you won't know it because it, it's never before published. So, Excellent. Because, I again, look forward to that. Yeah, so many, of, you know, so many of the accounts in my books are never before published because I go out and yeah. I get the, the stories firsthand myself. Um, yeah. And... I'm I'm always hugely happy when I get a review from somebody or a comment on social media or on Twitter or wherever it might be, where somebody who has contributed to one of my books and told me their story has then subsequently bought the book and read their story in it and comes back to me or, or you know, comes back in feedback or whatever and says how pleased they are that I didn't embellish what they said, that what they told me has what's gone down on paper because I... I have an absolute strict will not move from this. If you tell me that all that happened at that haunted location was the door slammed, then I will write in the book all that happened was the door slammed. I won't yeah. try and sex it up or make it more interesting because that might sell more books. I'd rather sell no books at all and have the truth down than try and you know um, make stuff up to make it sellable. So yeah, for me that's the biggest accolade. I think that's a that's a good thing. I mean, I know uh, me and Ben when we when we started this podcast, we we said when we, when we started we wanted to take an agnostic point of view. But the other thing was exactly what you're saying of you know we're going to give both sides of it and not not ham it up because I mean the other week uh, we spent the night uh, we recording normally recording a pub which uh, has a pub ghost. And we had some weird stuff happen on the night when we went back to the pub after lockdown. We spent the evening there kind of trying in search of the pub ghost. And some weird stuff happened. But, you know, both of us were like, well, that could have been paranormal or actually that could just be a complete coincidence. But I think we said at the time there are there are lots of paranormal programs and TV shows and stuff like that who would have totally hammed up some of the stuff. But I think in a way it's... It feels more credible and it, it feel, it's more interesting when you're not kind of hamming it up and using spirit boxes and all that kind of stuff to kind of make it into something more than maybe it actually is. It's, I think there's something weirder about it if it's a simple story like you're saying, a door closing. I think so. And, you know, I, I have absolutely no interest in trying to make something out of nothing. Um, you know, I, I could tell you how many times i've done a ghost hunt and literally nothing has happened you know you sit for hours and hours in a location and literally nothing happens and then every so often you know you do a ghost hunt and something really weird happens and it teaches you to be very patient um and and to then take better notice when something does happen yeah and and the way i liken it is we all all of those who have gardens in britain know that one of the garden birds that's common in everybody's garden is a robin. Yeah? We all know what a robin yep. looks like. We could all recognise one because they're on Christmas cards and everything. And a fair proportion of us would know that robins are very territorial. 
So if you've got a robin in your garden, he's likely to be living in just your garden and no other robins are going to be allowed to visit. But how many times sitting out in your garden do you actually see that robin? Yeah, maybe hardly one, ever. Yeah, hardly ever. Maybe one time out of 50 you actually see him. But you know that robins are territorial and you know that they're here year round and you know that they live there. And, you, and he's very easy to spot with his red breast. Well, I think the paranormal's the same. If the paranormal is in an area, you could go to that pub or that church, whatever it is, on 50 occasions and only once have something happen. And you've got to have the patience to know that, that just because it is haunted doesn't mean to say anything's going to happen that night that you're there or for those brief hours of a night that you're there. Um You'd, you you just have to be so incredibly patient. And then when something does happen, you're so much more tu- in tune to it if you're not trying to make something out of every little noise or every little mm. breath of wind or whatever. Mm. It's, a, it's a good excuse for me and Ben to spend more time in the pub as well. To be <laughs> Why not? <laughs> <laughs> My husband wishes that I would do more pub ghost hauntings and not make him spend time sitting out on haunted railway crossings or haunted ruined churches. <laughs> in in the stories that you get, do they fall into... So we've sort of come across that phenomena of sometimes it feels like the stone tape theory. It's a, It's something that is just repeating. It's an action. And then sometimes it's an intelligent... Uh, sort of interface with the witness do, do you find does it does it often with your stories fall into one of those two camps yes very much so to be honest there's quite a few things that you would think would be stone tape theory there's quite a few things that have seemed some sort of intelligent response to the person who's there um but there's also an awful lot that just doesn't kind of fit into anything um that just is what the person saw um and like a head scratcher really yeah just completely i mean in, in one of my books i think it's in roadmap of british ghosts there's a lane and forgive me i can't remember where off the top of my head but there's a lane somewhere is meant to be haunted by the ghost of a black monk and i have a strict rule when i go out on social media asking is i will tell people that i'm an author and i'll tell them that i'm writing about the paranormal and which book i'm researching for so book number two three four five whatever but I won't tell them what the theme of the book is in the post that asks for information. And I'll tell them I'm looking for anybody who's had an experience down X or Y location. But I won't tell them what they're supposed to experience down there. So the post I put up about this particular lane was, you know, I'm an author. I'm researching for book number three about the paranormal. Has anybody had any experiences down this particular lane? And, of course, I was hoping for people to come back with stories about seeing a black monk down there. Now, quite a few people came back who knew that lane was meant to be haunted by a black monk. So all told me so. Um, and people will helpfully, you know, send me the links of where this is already published or whatever, which is fine. Although, obviously, I already knew that because that's why I've posted. Um, but every now and again, you'll get somebody come back. And, it, and I did with this particular one. This lady had moved into the area about 10 years ago and she knew it was on bonfire night that they had this um, experience because they were on their way to a bonfire night party when it happened. So she knew it was about seven o'clock in the evening. Her husband was driving. They drove down this lane 
and ahead of them in the car headlights, which were on main beam. Again, it's one of those lanes with high sides and thick um, hedges, you know, that you couldn't get through easily. And something suddenly stepped out of the hedge, loped across the road and into the other hedge. It was about seven foot tall, hairless, humanoid in shape, but with a slightly longer snout and longer arms and legs than, you know, you would expect because it was so tall. And as it loped across, her husband swore and hit the brakes on the car. So the car kind of made a braking heavy squealing noise. That caught the attention of whatever it was, which turned to look at them and, and then turned back and just carried on. So the whole thing lasted a couple of seconds. But she said the thing that really stayed with her and creeped her out all these years was how slowly it moved its head to look at them. So instead of sort of like an animal would sort of like, you know, react with speed, it kind of turned its head very, very slowly like a robot would, looked at them and then turned its head very, very slowly back forward without ever breaking its stride completely creeped her out she's never been able to figure out what it was they saw and her husband doesn't even like talking about it even to this day because he has no explanation for what they saw now clearly that's not a black monk and there's no way you could see that and accidentally interpret it as a black monk um you know a, a monk in black robes so it always makes me think is the paranormal or are there some places where it's neither stone tape theory nor an interactive spirit as such? But there's just some kind of energy there. And depending who is there, they they'd interpret it in a different way or they see it in a different way. Is there some sort of, I don't know, elemental energy or I don't know. Just fascinating. And that sounds a bit like we've we, we've been quite obsessed with the Canuck Chase area and we've done a couple of podcasts on that area and it seems to be what you're talking about happens there because it's everything from you know werewolf sightings to ufos to ghosts black-eyed kids there's a whole range of stuff that seems to happen in that area and again me and ben have said to each other we're scratching our heads you know why would that be but maybe like you said it's just an energy that people are picking up on and maybe they interpret it in different ways yeah, as well absolutely and, and you've got to remember that with witnesses you know, if, if you're ever trained in, um, you know, investigative interviewing, like obviously I have been to quite a big degree because of my career. Um, one of the things that you're trained is how unre unreliable witness evidence can be and how right. carefully you have to not influence what somebody is going to tell you. Because humans will naturally, when communicating, try to find common ground and try to... Um, kind of a, win the approval of the other person taking part in the conversation. We naturally try right. to find that um, correlations with each other. So you're always taught that witnesses to any event will come back with different stories and that doesn't negate what they saw. It just means you have to sift through and have a, you know, an ability to sift through the data. So if you put five people in a room and you allowed a supernatural phenomena to occur in front of them, and then immediately pulled them out of the room, separate from each other, and interviewed them, you would get five different answers as to what they just saw because they wouldn't have had time to get over their shock by sharing it with each other and kind of finding that common ground about what they saw and shifting their memories to fit that common ground. 
So they will give you exactly what they think they saw. And depending on what socioeconomic background they come from, what religious belief they come from, what kind of educational background they've got, um, what kind of popular culture they, they're interested in, they might tell you they just saw an alien in the room. They might tell you they just saw a fairy in the room. They might tell you they just saw an angel or a demon in the room. They might tell you they saw a ghost. They might tell you they just saw a weird light phenomena. They might tell you they saw a time slip. Depending on what their own mindset draws them towards, because they've got nobody else to, to pick up on. Right. If you allowed them all to be together, they'd kind of commonalise their story and, and, and come up with one or the other. Right. That's interesting. Really interesting. So have, have people come to you? So you just mentioned fairies and aliens. Have you had those stories as well? Um, well, you could put that one I've just mentioned into possible alien category, couldn't yeah, you? Yeah. Or even an elemental being of some sort or even cryptozoological category. I definitely get quite a few cryptozoological type um, stories, people seeing animals of dis various descriptions, particularly like black shuck type entities or big cat type entities. Um, aliens, not so much, although I do get some weird light phenomena, phenomena type um, uh, stories from people. Fairies, I don't think I've had anybody with fairies, but I have had goblin or gnome or that type oh, wow. of sighting, you know, small humans usually quite ugly i've got one um somewhere in warwickshire but i can't remember where off the top of my head um somewhere around rugby way coventry way that kind of area where somebody saw um uh, a being of about 18 inches two feet high with quite shaggy orange hair and and sort of hiding in a hedgerow and when when it realized she'd looked at it from her car as the car pulled up a set of traffic lights sort of dashed out of sight grinning um <laughs> so <laughs> yeah i do wow. get i do get some of those you know sort of more the goblin-y type or, or gnome or whatever uh, rather than actual fairy i don't think i've had any fairies yet but we never know there's still time there's, there's still, still plenty yeah, of yeah. time <laughs> and i mean you said you said earlier that you uh it, it was some poltergeist activity you experienced when you were younger that got you in to the paranormal. Yeah. When we first started this podcast, we had a few people kind of on social media come to us and say, oh, you've got to be really careful because the more you look at this stuff, the more it looks back at you and weird things will start to happen to you. Um, I mean, we've had a few kind of, I'd say, weird coincidences, but we haven't had anything majorly paranormal I would say happened to us. I don't know if you agree with that, Ben. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. <clears throat> um, have you have, is have you found that that's the case? The more that you look at this stuff, it looks back at you, or do you think that's that's um, wrong? I have a fear that that's right <laughs> for sure. Right. right. <laughs> so, which is which is logical which is to have, right? <laughs> um, so, I mean, it, you know, without a doubt, since I did the research for Roadmap of British Ghosts and published that. I am definitely much more nervous of driving alone at night than I ever have been. Um, right. I mean, for the whole of my career, before I partially retired, my job involved the whole country. So I, I spent a lot of time driving hundreds and hundreds of miles and staying overnight at places, and 
coming home, you know, late at night or leaving early in the morning in the dark never bothered me at all. Um, whereas now I'm actually quite nervous about driving alone at night because of the research that I did with Roadmap and, and how many weird things people come across. I'm quite happy to do it with somebody else in the car and, you know, and go and actively seek out these areas with somebody else in the car um, trying to find the phenomena. But I'm more nervous doing it on my own. As for do things happen more frequently? Does it look back at me? Um, I sometimes think slightly, yes. But there again, I think, mind you, we had quite a few things happen when we were kids. So right. is it really more or is it just that I'm paying attention again now? Whereas in kind yeah. of the middle part of my life when I was, you know, in the height of my career and wasn't partially retired and, you know, life's so busy, isn't it? Was I just not mm. paying as much attention as I am again now? So, yeah. but yeah, I, I must admit, I do have a fear that that will be true and things will start visiting me at home <laughs> or visiting me when I'm out in the car or worse still. Well, it's when I'm out on the motorbike on my own that that's my biggest fear is like please don't appear in front of me on the motorbike <laughs> yeah god no you don't want that at all no I mean, it's funny because we were we did an episode a while back when we were talking about haunted objects um and we talked about the fact that on ebay there's a real market in haunted yeah. objects and and we both asked ourselves the question of well, these are probably scam they might you know they're 99 must be scam things and we were like, shall we just buy one? And both, uh, certainly me, and I think Ben to a certain degree, both went, God, even though it's a scam object, I don't want to have it in my home. So it's funny how that that fear can play in your mind, even when you know it's not going to be something real, right? Well, I, th- I think that's a really good point, because um, I can tell you now that I would not entertain buying a doll and putting it in this house for love no money. Right. The damn things are creepy at the best of times. And if somebody told me that the thing might possibly be haunted, I'd have nightmares about it, whether it was or wasn't. I, no, it's not coming in the house. Um, <laughs> I have seen the things for sale on, you know, like eBay and what have you. And like you, I've often thought you could put any old suitcase and, and bundle of letters together and claim them to be haunted. Yeah. But would I actually want to buy it and actually put it in my house? <laughs> and then yeah. see whether I'd manage to inadvertently bring something home with it. I'm not sure I would, to be honest. So, yeah, it, 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 it does give you that hype, doesn't it, about it plays somehow into if you believe it's real, it might become real. <laughs> it's, it's funny. Well, I love reading the um, buyer's comments. I don't know if you've ever seen the buyer's comments. in them. They're very funny. There was, there was one I read where they said, we've had this thing. And and it's not haunted. I want my money back. And the guy responded saying, "You've only had it forty eight hours. You've got to give it time." Which I thought was brilliant. <laughs> and how would you prove that? And you know, if in in sort of consumer law, you know, wasn't yeah. sold as a scene sort of thing. You know, well, well, we did we did talk about that. I think there is a way because I did a bit of research on it. There's a way of wording the ad. So there's something that you say, we t- they, they cleverly word them as, we take no responsibility if this item is haunted or not. Yeah. Which is, or is a good wording of how they get out of it, you know, from, from the fact that it's not a haunted item or most likely not a haunted item. But And interestingly, yeah. if you think about it, even if it genuinely was a haunted item, even if somebody was genuinely selling a haunted item, there's no guarantee that once you move it to a new location with a new person observing it, that they would ever 
experience that haunting anyway. Yeah. Just like, you know, if you moved into a new house and you only lived there for six months and then you moved away again, would you ever notice that robin in your garden? Mm. Yeah. It's the same thing, isn't it? Not everybody will necessarily experience something just because it's there or notice it if it does happen. So yeah. I'm not sure these items come with a 30-day money-back guarantee. No. <laughs> <laughs> sorry i've taken us off at a tangent there <laughs> so it was there have you ever had somebody tell you a story that was so because a lot of the fear from this stuff just comes from uh a, an object or a person sort of out of place really or or a door shutting uh like you say and, and you know there's nobody to push it. And those sorts of things aren't particularly frightening. But I think the frightening thing is if it, if something starts to be menacing. Have you ever come across something where you've kind of thought about it for days afterwards and just thought, God, that is so scary? I've actually got dozens of counts where it's quite menacing and has actually genuinely frightened the person who experienced it. And funny enough, I was just interviewing somebody earlier this week for book number five. Um, and his experience happened well, at least 20 years ago. And even now it makes him shudder to talk about it. And he was um, a apprentice electrician at the time. Um, you know, one of his first jobs after leaving school sort of thing. So he, the company that he worked for was doing a, a contract for Wilfer Power Station in Wales. And... He, because he was the apprentice, he was given obviously, you know, the easiest tasks to do, which at that point they were doing their monthly checking and changing all the light bulbs. Because obviously, with it being a power station, there you know, was health and safety, all the exit lights and all everything, everything had to work perfectly at all times for safety reasons. Um, so he had been sent down to this particular room, um, to change the, the light bulbs in the safety exits and what have you. And he described it as a, a long rectangular room with the door at one end. And then at the far end, there was a fire door out of the building, which obviously was alarmed and kept shut. And when he opened the, the door to go into the room, he couldn't find the light switch to switch the lights on. So the room was in darkness. So he crossed the whole length of the room in darkness. Decided he'd start with the bulbs nearest the fire exit so he could prop open the fire exit door to let a little bit of light into the room so he could see what he was doing. So he opened the fire exit door, propped it open, bent down to his tool bag to get out some bulbs to put in his pouch so he could then go up his stepladder to do the bulbs. And as he bent down, somebody tapped him on the shoulder. So he turned around to, sort of stood up, turned around to see who would come in to speak to him only to find himself facing a lady in clearly um, ancient dress, you know, sort of Victorian-style dress, frilled at the neckline, with grey hair pulled back in a bun. The whole apparition was in shades of grey. It, it lasted only a, a couple of seconds as he stepped back in horror and she faded away from the ground upwards in front of him. Um, and she had she didn't have proper eyes she just had black spaces where the eyes should be he said the weird thing was she was smiling at him and the smile itself was not at all threatening it was quite a kindly pleasant smile 
but overall the experience absolutely terrified him as you can imagine so he did finish and change the light bulbs which i think was incredibly brave of him but because he was an apprentice and (laughs) you know knew at the job he was scared he'd get into trouble if he didn't but he legged it out of there and and you know the first comment somebody said to them when they got out of there was you look like you've seen a ghost and and he said i think i just have (laughs) and he never ever in all the years working since then he never ever went back in that room alone voluntarily because he he just couldn't face the thought of of having to face that again so yeah wow. and and, wow. and there there's loads more there's a I can remember a lady telling me about she'd parked her camper van somewhere down in Cornwall way I think it was um and during the night she heard something stealthily creeping around outside the camper van and she could hear it touching and brushing against the sides. And when she looked out the window, all she could see is two red eyes glowing in the dark. And she was too scared to go out and check it. So she sort of locked everything and sat in there in terror for the rest of the night as to what was prowling around outside. Oof. So, yeah, the, there are quite a few which are quite creepy. The little girl giggling is another one, but I'll leave you to find that yourself. <laughs> the camper van story though it, it still sounds better than center parks I think. yes <laughs> <laughs> um you you mentioned you mentioned that we we were talking about this the other the other week when we did the thing on haunted pubs that this kind of victorian era ghost seems to come up a lot and i guess do, do you think it's back to some of the themes that we've talked about today, people just interpreting that way? Or is there something about the Victorian era that's, that, that creates a lot of ghosts? Because we were scratching our heads a bit. We, we, were doing, we did the top 10 haunted pubs, and we were literally getting towards the end of the list going, oh, here we go. It's another woman in white. You know, and a bit like the one, oh, the one the, yeah, they've got the, the eyes are kind of locked out, and they're in Victorian dress. And... Do you think that is the themes that you've been talking about it, people interpreting it in a way like that you were saying about somebody in a room looking at an alien or whatever, rather than there are a load of Victorian ghosts? Absolutely. And the, and I actually have a theory as to why that is, why it's Victorian. Because okay. we're of a generation, or you know, the generations either side of us, um, you know, sort of living memory, if you like. The the pictorial record of our history goes back as far as Victorian easily Mm. there are victorian photographs there's a lot of victorian newspaper clippings and so on so the presses yeah the oldest visual images we have that aren't paintings are victorian so if i said to you describe to me in detail the difference between victorian clothing and edwardian clothing and um tudor clothing unless you were a student of history you would start to struggle to actually elucidate what the difference was between that those clothings. Um, yeah. Which means what I think happens is people see somebody in old-fashioned clothing and they immediately go Victorian because our yeah. collective imagery inside our own minds comes mostly as far back as Victorian. Um, yeah, and really And very few of us would be able to say... No, actually, that bodice she was wearing was more Edwardian than Victorian. Mm. You know, you would need an actual scholar of... In fact, in one of the cases, um, when I was looking up a you know, a ghost that was meant to be from a battle, and they said it was in 
Civil War uniform from the whichever side. And I thought, did they, did, what they uniforms did look like then? What am I trying to describe as I write this into the book? And of course, when you look it up, they didn't have uniforms in the Civil War. The common soldier didn't wear uniforms. What they tended to wear was a sash with the colour of, um, you know, whoever they were supporting on it. So that when they're on the battlefield, you could tell who was who and who you were meant to be clobbering with your sword and who you weren't. Um, and that sparked a whole nother thought of interest out of me because there's a ghost not far from here that's alleged to be seen as um, having, you know, the sort of King Charles wavy hair, um, you know, long shoulder length hair that we think of as Civil War times. And wearing sort of breeches and a white shirt and some kind of overcoat over it. And with red right across his chest as if, you know, and everybody always interprets it as blood. But then I thought, well, what if he's wearing a red sash? Because they didn't have uniforms then and he's got his red sash on right. when we see him. So, yeah, I, I do think a lot of the time when it's quoted as a Victorian ghost, it's just what they actually mean is somebody in old-fashioned clothes right yeah yeah that makes sense that makes sense so um you you're currently investigating book five and obviously we we mentioned that you're looking for some stories around tame and we you know this is tame is our uh home to our studio and all of that um is it just that one location that you're investigating the water meadows no, I've, I, I mean, I literally have at any one time, I have dozens and dozens of posts out across the country um, looking for people's um, experiences on them. So the tame one is one you happen to pick up on. Um, I will have at any one moment in time, I'll have loads out in different counties. So the message for anybody is if you've got an experience that you want to tell me about, it doesn't matter where it is. Please, please, please write in, tell me. Because I'll either take it as a new entry on the database that I then start researching to see if I can find other people, um, or it might correlate with somebody that's already told me about an experience there. And I might already have several entries on my database for that location, um, in which case it'll add to the story and it'll get added in and put in the book sort of thing. So, And how can people get hold of you? Um, email is the easiest way if they want to write their story to me. And the email address is wa dash one four zero zero at outlook.com or if you just google ruth roper wild with wild spelt whiskey yankee lima delta echo um you'll see on there i've got a twitter and a facebook page you can always get through to me on those as well if you want or pinterest so there's there's other ways to get through to me if you prefer and we will put a link to your facebook page in the title of this podcast so people can can also click on that so that's another way of, of getting in contact with Rich. brilliant and when are you hoping to have book five out well if i manage to pull my finger out and get it done hopefully just before christmas so fingers crossed excellent oh, well, I, well maybe you'll come back and talk to us again when the book's out if, if you if you've got time that'd be great. i would love to yes anytime always happy to talk about the paranormal <laughs> excellent <laughs> Lovely. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, Ruth. And uh, I will recommend go and check out her books. They are a fascinating read. And as we're probably all going to be stuck in over winter and not being able to go out because of this damn virus, get them, read them to your partners, read them to your kids. They're great. Well, 
the one about the the roads if you read that you'll never go out again so no. you're going to need something else <laughs> yeah, to read. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it'll help you with the isolating because no, you'll want to <laughs> <laughs> yeah no thank you ruth that's been fantastic thank you guys lovely to meet you i always find it fascinating when you come across somebody else who takes you know the so the approach that she takes she's just recording the stories as they come in and yeah. i really liked her theory about the victorian dress thing that had never occurred to me before yeah because I, I we we talked about that um when we did the top 10 britain's top 10 haunted pubs didn't we yeah. we were quite we almost made it we were quite dismissive i think we were we were a bit oh for god's sake it's another kind of white white robes you know victorian ghost but it's right you know i think i think what came out of it for me is a mixture of we can interpret things our own way like she said about the person you know in the room five people in a room one will have seen an alien one will have seen a ghost Mm. um but also i think the the fact that you know not many of us are experts on uh on clothing and period kind of costumes that you know we we when you think of it as old you think of victorian so i thought those were really two interesting points the the other thing i really liked uh, uh about what ruth was saying uh was her approach to it and it reminded me a bit of our kind of approach mm. of you know she was saying uh, like when when you when we said okay so why is this thing happening she's like I don't know I'm just mm. logging it and kind of experiencing it and finding people's stories and trying to find out what's going on whether it be big or small I thought that was another point because we've come across that a lot that somebody sees something for a couple of seconds it doesn't really make the news unless it's you know as you said on uh on the night that we were we were at the, our pub doing the haunting there it's like if it ain't something from the opening scene of Ghostbusters, <laughs> you're almost disappointed, you yeah. know. But 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 you know that that seems to be most people's occurrences, very small things that are weird and just happen. Yeah, although like I'm always worried about. Well, not worried, but if if I'm in the wrong frame of mind and I'm driving around the roads here at night, I've said before I don't like looking in the rearview mirror. That yeah. story about the seven foot creature walking in front of the car yeah Ooh. and it reminded me of there were i can't remember which episode it was but i remember you talking about having a sense once when you were recently when you were kind of going driving around a corner and you thought mm. oh, i'm going too fast and slowing down and there was a horse wasn't a paranormal thing but there yeah, was a yeah. horse around the corner it's that's like, right the world, it reminded yeah. me of that, that story it's and it also made me think of the when we asked her the question of you know does she does it look back at you when people have said to us well when you investigate it they kind of look back at you uh, and maybe it is you're just a little bit more observant and it makes you think about it more. I certainly see things out of the corner of my eye more than I used to before doing this podcast. I'm not saying they're paranormal, but you know you, you're interpreting so much information and filtering so much information as a human being that just just by thinking about something probably does slightly change your perspective naturally right yeah i think that's exactly right yeah it does well it's going to be impossible for me not to walk down to those water meadows and see if i can find anything yeah, to report to her yeah well that's what so so the new book is about those that you know it's around this area where where we record and and 
uh, that's one of the bits i think she was saying it's covering all all of the country but yes she's had some reports from around this area and that's what she's investigating in this part of the world so yeah you'll never be looking at walking down well because you walk your dog there right you'll never be uh you're going to be looking over your shoulder the whole time i think yeah exactly yeah yeah well um really fascinating we'll put uh links to how you can get in contact with ruth if you've got a story that you want to share and we'll put some links to her books as well uh they'll either be in the description of this podcast or if not we you can find them on our social media and, and we'll put links to her but what a fascinating guest yeah she was great and if any listeners to this show want to suggest somebody that they'd like to hear come on then please just mention it in the comments in yeah. one of our feeds and we'll do our best yeah because because we're finding some good people to talk to that way That's yeah great. really good well we'll um that was great and uh, we'll be back with another uh intriguing episode hopefully uh next week then as long as we don't get eaten by seven foot tall <laughs> the dog as long as we don't get eaten by seven foot tall cryptids. I thought you could say seven foot tall dog, but um, <laughs> that, that was just Ben's uh, Ben's uh, Ben's canine friend knocking over the microphone. But um, yes, so we will see you next time. On see the you next time. Mechanics. Bye. Bye. the quantum mechanics.